Hello and welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast. This is a place where we share how love can transform negative emotions and pain into strength. We talk about all things related to love, positivity, and kindness. And I am your host, Corinne Kamara. Welcome to episode 15, From a Sexist Workplace to Entrepreneurship. Dr. Betsy Greenleaf is a premier women's health expert, entrepreneur, inventor, and business leader who specializes in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery for over 20 years. Dr. Greenleaf is a trailblazer as one of the first female in the United States to become board certified in urogynecology. Dr. Betsy truly believes in the body's innate ability to heal and reach balance. She's fascinated by the magic of science and the mind-body-spirit medicine. Dr. Betsy helps clients find balance and their inner fire to lead a fulfilled life. She is the CEO of the Pelvic Floor Store, an online store dedicated to finding reliable products for pelvic health. She manages a blog and she's the host of some of your parts podcast that is dedicated to women's wellness and the notion that you are greater than the sum of your parts. Dr. Greenleaf takes a holistic mind, body, spirit approach to healing and wellness. She believes many of the answers to a healthy life are found within. She views her role in life as your wellness guide. In today's episode, Dr. Betsy will share how she worked through a sexist environment and found her power into building her own medical practice. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, Betsy. Welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on this show. Thank you. (laughs) So I always start off the show with what your love lesson is. And a love lesson is a traumatic life situation that brought you to your knees that really required you to go deep within yourself to figure out how you can transform. And in that transformation, you are now helping others lead a life of wellness. You know what? I think it goes back to, I was always interested in medicine. And so what I wanted to do, you know, when I was like five years old, I was interested in medicine, but didn't realize, think that, oh, I wanted to be a doctor. I just was always interested in that. As I went through my career, I really loved just doing things that help people. So the the thing was, so I went to medical school and I'm like, yay, I'm going to help people. And then I went through residency and then I got out and I found that that was not what was happening. Mm. And so that was really kind of painful is to kind of just line up and and kind of hit the truth that medicine was a business and that I was being, and I was working for hospitals at that time. And so I was constantly being told, see more patients, spend less time, see more patients, spend less time. And it really was not working for me. Um, but I couldn't, I didn't have the guts or the power at that point in time to say enough's enough and I'm done with this. So I just thought, well, this is the way it is. I trained all these years and therefore this is just going to be the way it's going to be. And then to add to that is I experienced a lot of sexism in the workplace. 
And oh, wow. that was, that was really tough because I thought to myself, yeah, I remember when I was younger, my dad told me that, you know, the world is not fair. You're going to work twice as hard and get paid less than a, than a man. And I was like, no, come on. This is a modern day. This is not going to happen. And unfortunately it did happen for me and it happened in with people that, I mean, I just assumed that other doctors were in it for what I wanted to be in it for was help other people and to find that they were not, not just not helping other people, but not helping me a fellow doctor was really tough. Mm -hmm. And so my first job, I worked in a hospital where it was very old school. So it was the old boys club. And I still was like, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to show them that I can do anything that they can do. And you know, one of the first days that I was in that hospital, I walked into the, um, the doctor's lounge where everyone ate their lunches. And it was like a sea of old white men. And I just sat down and put my tray down and ate my lunch. And the whole room went quiet. And this was, and we're talking, this was 2007. So it wasn't mm. like it was that long ago. And, um, you know, everyone kind of got quiet and looked at me and I walked out and I go, you know, I didn't think anything of it. And I mentioned to some of my female uh, colleagues later on that day and they're like, oh, you went into the doctor's lounge? I was like, yeah, why would I not go in there? Like, oh, we don't go in there. That's for the men. And I'm like, what is this, the 1950s? <laughs> you know, so. Wow. It, and so I really, um, you know, and I, and I encourage people to fight, but at the same time, I think you have to fight and kind of look at what your outcome is and is it worth fighting? Because sometimes there's things that are just, just not worth fighting. Am, am I going to change a 70 year old man's view of the world? Probably not. But, uh, you know, so what happened was it then it turned into actually it did turn into a fight and then it turned into a legal battle because I had a department chairman who was in his seventies who did not feel that women had the eye hand coordination to perform surgery. And he, and that he made comments that women were ruining medicine because we wanted to have a family and a life too. You know, we wanted to have a family I, career and a life. I can't. I know. So, and here I am like, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to show him. Um, and, but I, I, I fought to kind of almost, almost to my own demise because I was fighting just to fight at this point in time and not really looking at the big picture where like one of the things was I should have just left. You know, I think that if you're in a situation where it's not supporting you as a person, leave that sometimes fighting, even though, you know, we want to have that, that movie story where the person has this hardship and then they fight it and then they triumph. It doesn't always work that way. And so what ended up happening was, um, I, I, I mean, like I said, I think people should stick up for themselves. I stood, I stu stood up for myself and I was getting a lot of backlash to the point where, they were starting to threaten my job because um, because I was going ahead and doing the things that I should have been able to do, but in a situation and in an environment that was not supportive. And so um, they were trying to stop me everywhere along the way. So specifically with this 
women don't have the eye-hand coordination to do surgery, I at that point in time was trying to develop a robotic surgery practice and oh, okay. was, was getting blocked everywhere along the way. Like every time they they would change the rules on me. Like you have to do five cases and then we'll let you do them on your own. And I would do my five cases and they say, well, you're not doing them within the time period, even though they, they were changing the rules as we went along. And finally too, it got to the point where, um, you know, I had seen other female doctors come and go from this hospital. Like mm -hmm. they were smart. They left. And I was like, no, I'm going to stay and fight for everybody. Um, and because they, they left for the same reason. They were given mm -hmm. the same hardship and they were not being able to do the things that they were trained or and talented in doing. So they left and they developed their lives and their careers elsewhere. I stayed and, and the final straw was the hospital put me under review. And so one late day I get this, this letter saying, you're under review. And I go, why am I under review? Uh, we can't tell you it's HIPAA which is the privacy laws. And so if you know anything about privacy laws, privacy laws have to do with the patient, not like, like, do you have right. to tell me why I'm under review? Like, you can't just say like you're under review and not give me a reason and say, well, we can't tell you. So I ended up having to get a lawyer involved and this turned into a couple year battle because, and I had been on the other side of this. I knew the tactics of this department where, if the department chairman didn't like somebody, hmm. he would act, cause I, I was, I was asked to do this about for one of my colleagues. He didn't like one of the male doctors for something that he had done and was like, all right, go through all his charts and find things that are wrong so that we can kick this guy out of the, out of the hospital. And I remember, you know, with that case in particular, I went through the charts. I could, I didn't agree with some of the things that doctor was doing, but there wasn't anything I could say was wrong. And so, um, you know, they, they couldn't get rid of them and they've done, they did this to many other doctors, you know, through this old boys club and now it was being done to me. And I was like, great, I know exactly what you're doing. And even my colleagues were like, what's going on? We're asked, being asked to review your charts. And I'm like, you know, I pissed off the wrong person. And so, um, yeah, it turned into a couple year legal battle. And unfortunately, after I spent about a hundred thousand dollars in legal fees and, you know, went through my life savings, my lawyer said, you know, this is obvious that this guy's sexist. He has it out for you for whatever reason, you know, it wasn't like there were any bad cases. It wasn't like mm -hmm. somebody had some kind of crazy complication. There was nothing that in my, my surgical record that should have created this situation. It was just a personal battle. And my lawyer is like, well, you know what? You can keep fighting and it's going to take years because they have a lot more money than you do and they'll drag this out. Or you could just basically suck it up and just, you know, see, like make a deal with them and get on with your life. So you and settled. Was, it was one of the most painful things I ever did mm -hmm. because I was still like, no, I'm tough. I'm going to prove to them. And and I just, like I said, I think it was picking my battles and right. not recognizing earlier that, you know what, this wasn't the place for me and that there were other places that would have appreciated my business and my talents much better and that staying and fighting was just not the right thing. So yeah, so I settled with them and, and settling was 
well, we'll give you all your procedures, your privileges back, and um, you won't no longer be under review, but you have to give up the robot surgery. So this whole entire time, it was always about the, the robot in that, and to this day, there's not, there's not one female in that hospital that performs robot surgery because they've chased them all away. But Why? It's because of this because of the people who are in charge and this old school doctor who believes that women don't have eye-hand coordination to perform laparoscopic or robotic surgery. And it's just, um, you know, and it's, it's, we know it, the, my call, my female colleagues know it, but um, we all know that it's sexism. And, and, you know, even with the Me Too movement, we, we all kind of brought it up like, hey, maybe we should do something about this. Mm-hmm. But the problem became the laws in, in New Jersey if you're going to bring a sexism lawsuit, you have to, you have to submit to the state first specifics on how the sexism occurred. And so the problem becomes, unless you can, it becomes like a, he said, she said, unless mm. you can absolutely hundred percent prove that these things happened because of your sex you, it's really hard to bring one of those suits. And even my, my colleagues were in private, we're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get this guy out of, out, out of power. But then when it came down to it, everyone's like so scared, like, Oh, if we, if we do this, is he going to turn his, turn his, you know, attention to us. And now he's going to go after our privileges and our practice. So everyone mm-hmm. just kind of kept their mouths shut and, and went on with their, with their lives. And so, for me, there's still this pain where I feel like, man, I should have fought harder and I should have fought harder for my fellow female doctors. But, you know, when I look back at it and I go, oh my God, all those years, all that stress, all that money to basically just, you know, to fight and for what reason when it was, you know, I think the idea is like, was it the Kenny Rogers? No one to hold them, no one to fold them, no yeah. one to walk away, no one to run. I think in my situation, I should have ran and I didn't. And I should have ran at this at the first sign that and, and listened to my gut. And I and I didn't. So, um, you know, I was fighting for for what reason? Just to kind of prove a point. So well- so you're no longer working at that hospital? No, no longer. Finally, and I finally was like, okay, I'm done with that hospital. <laughs> so, okay. But it took years. I was there from 2007 till about 20, about 2018. Wow. That's so, a, that's yeah. Well, you put, yeah. In, you put in work. I'm sure on some level you helped the women behind you that came in. Yeah. You paid, yeah. You paid some sort of precedent that I'm sure others appreciate. So, you know, you can't combine that with also working for a hospital for years. And here I wanted to care for people. I wanted to help people and then seeing the corporate and not, listen, not all doctors are like this and not all situations are like this, but you know, if you're working in a hospital or hospital system, that's like see more patients, spend less time. And, you know, you kind of get this almost factory line, assembly line medicine, you know, I, same thing. I didn't think there were any other options for me. And I was like, oh, I guess this is the way it is. And I'll just, you know, put up with it. And it's scary to change. So there comes a time when you're like, no, this is not right. 
that I finally got the guts to be like, you know what, I'm going out on my own and I'm going to practice medicine the way I want to practice, which ultimately is going to help the patients. Then, you know, if, if I'm not taking care of my mental well-being by being in a place that's not supportive the way I want to do things, that's not helping my patients in the long run. Absolutely. So then when you decided to leave the hospital, where did you go? Did you go into private practice? Did you go work for someone else? You know what the interesting thing is? I wish I could tell you the happy ending story that I made the decision and like ran out and started my own practice. But you know, life works in funny ways. And I still was scared to make that decision. Mm. And so, you know, I, I think it's interesting that the universe sometimes makes those decisions for you. And so I was actually in a car accident and had a neck injury. Oh gosh. And so, <laughs> yeah. so, um, and so I ended up having neck surgery and could no longer I could no longer perform surgery. So that was also the hard thing is I spent all those years fighting to prove that I was just as good of a surgeon as everybody else. And then to come out and then have this happen. But, you know, I could have looked at it and be like, oh my God, poor me, you know, look at this happen. But all of a sudden I just felt this, like I felt this relief and I felt free because I was also coming to a point in my career where I didn't necessarily believe in some of the surgeries that I was doing. A lot of them were involving mesh and we, a lot of people have heard about vaginal mesh and, um, and the, the problems that it can cause. And I wasn't really, even though that's what I was trained and that's what I was being told was the right way. I wasn't really hundred percent convinced that that was the right thing to do. So I think, you know, after that happened and after I recovered from my neck surgery, I was, I felt so relieved, like, oh my God, now I have the opportunity to reinvent myself. Now I have the opportunity to do something more that I feel passionate about and really create something special. Mm. So it was because of that reason that I have since, um, I've worked on so many different things. I've started my own podcast. I'm going to be hosting some pelvic health summits, um, writing a book. And just uh, a few weeks ago, I opened my private practice. So congratulations. Yeah, so just opened it and it's, it's going really well. You know, I was, a, I think I was afraid because I don't participate in insurance because, you know, insurance is very like restrictive you know, to get paid, you had to, you really have to see a lot of patients. And that's where all some of that assembly line medicine comes into, into play. And I'm like, no, I really want to take the time and get to know my patients mm -hmm. and know them mind, body and spirit. Because if we don't address all those areas of health, people are not going to get better. So now I have the freedom to be like, okay, I'm going to spend an hour plus with a patient. Um, and you know, if that means I have to charge patients, you know, I have to charge them for it cash as opposed to insurance, then that's okay because that the person that's able to pay that, that can actually um, have, you know, that's going to be the person who's going to be more invested in their health care and more invested in, in, um, in getting better and I can provide them better tools. So, you know, that's one of the things I, I, I look back because, you know, also in the meantime, when I was out, I got my MBA. And so 
one of the interesting things I found from the business standpoint is we tend to value things that we pay for. Right. And one of the worst things uh, for the American health system has been the insurance because, um, you know, and, and I do want everybody to, to be able to have access to health care. But one of the things I've seen over the years is that people don't value it if they're, if they're not, they're not invested in it. Mm-hmm. And there's been number, there's been a number of studies actually when looking at gym memberships, which is really fascinating yes. that the more you pay for a gym membership, Absolutely. the healthier, healthier you are. I, and I agree hundred percent. And I've seen, and I've seen that, that, you know, patients who are like, just do whatever their insurance and take for granted, like insurance is going to cover it and, you know, complain that they're paying like $3 for a prescription. They're not doing the things that they need to do to be healthy where the patients that are like, all right, I want to be as healthy as I can be. And they search those services out and they, they tend to be more invested in actually getting better. So true. That's true. And I mean, I like the health saving account model where you're putting money into a savings account and then you can use it for things that you want to use it for. So I feel like that's a model that I support because then you could use alternative medicine. You can buy things that you, that work for you and you're not forced to go see a type of doctor that you don't want to see. So it gives you more freedom. You know, it's interesting also though, from the insurance standpoint, this was something we studied in, um, in business school that there were like with car insurance, it, it was interesting. They saw the number of accidents go up once car insurance was created. And that there have been a couple of studies on this too. The theory is now I don't really think about this when I drive my car, I just drive my car, but the theory is in general, people, if you didn't have car insurance, you would potentially drive like more safely because you're like, Oh my God, you know, like I have this expensive piece of machinery that if it gets ruined, I'm going to have to pay a lot more money to get it fixed or, or I can get injured or, but so in these studies, they looked at when someone had car insurance, it actually worked the opposite on their safety. They were like, Oh, you know what? I have insurance. It'll take care of it if something happens. And we kind of see that same idea with health insurance is that mm-hmm. people are like, eh, you know what? If something happens to me, I have health insurance for that. And that's, that's actually like a business theory that any insurance, insurances in general almost create the opposite of what they're trying to insure against. So that's interesting. Yeah. So tell us about your new business. I'm excited. So how are you working with people? Like what's your methodology? Yeah. So I'm so excited. So we are renting, um, two days a week out of a pelvic physical therapy office. So, which is good. So we kind of partner with them mm-hmm. and I focus more on women's wellness and, um, hormone management, some of the pelvic health that I was doing before as a urogynecologist, um, but really being able to take the time and look at the whole person, looking at their diet, look at, at, at sources of inflammation, you kind of quizzing them about their environment and products that they're using because I'm, you know, there's so many chronic diseases that are based on inflammation that a lot of times we're doing to our body with nutrition. Um, the other thing which has been great is since going out on my own and kind of having this vision for this center, um, I've started to attract other people that want to work with me. Oh. So 
you know, we're kind of almost growing quicker than we are or really growing because I have so many people that want to work with me, mm-hmm. but I'm like, okay, so the goal is let's, you know, develop this business so that we can move into a bigger space because I have a massage therapist that's working with us now who also does energy medicine. I have a chiropractor who's doing the nutrition. We have a nurse midwife who acts as a nurse practitioner Mm -hmm. who does some of the the medical management, some of the aesthetics because skincare is important and also even medical marijuana um, management here in New Jersey because in New Jersey, we don't have, it's uh, still medical. We don't have recreational so, and then I have a whole bunch of other people from physical therapists to chiropractors to homeopath, homeopaths, all that want to work. So the, there's this future vision of a much bigger center, which really will have, you know, you can go for your, all your health care, one kind of one-stop shop, because that's the other problem with traditional medicine is you may go to somebody for your heart and then somebody for your stomach and nobody's talking and really the body, you need to look at the body as a whole. So, mm-hmm. so is your, are most of the people you work with women? For me, most of them are women. Now my other practitioners will work with both men and women. So I think just coming from the gynecologic background, I just tend to be more comfortable with working with women's hormones and women's issues. Mm-hmm. So I had I had thought about getting into the doing the men's like anti-aging and hormones also, but then I was like, you know what? That's I'll leave that up to I'll give that to somebody else to do. Okay. So yeah. And are your colleagues also mostly women as well? So um, I have a mix of both. We have have male and female um, working in in the office. So yeah, so, you know, our chiropractor that does functional medicine and um, and nutrition, he's a a male and he sees both men and women. So Mm -hmm. same thing with our massage therapist, energy medicine. He also does, um, he's male and sees both. And in what is interesting is we're kind of feeding off of each other and that it's kind of like snowballing because we want as a whole, want to make our patients better, but then we're finding that ourselves, we want to develop our person and do a lot of personal development. So the massage therapist is now going and getting his training in personal personal training. And then he already plans after that to go do his certificate in um, life coaching. And so um, the, like um, the nurse practitioner, she just went and did a whole bunch of aesthetics training. So it's like all of us kind of like are constantly trying to improve ourselves. So, and it's nice. That sounds like a really nice working environment, especially coming from the hospital, like being in a place where everyone's supportive and everyone is equal and fair and and considerate about each other and interested in your growth. Like, I think that's really important to work with people that want to see you succeed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Great. It's been really, it's been really good. It's definitely a growing process. I think life is a growing process, you know, it's so easy to look back and say, Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. But, you know, I also go, if I hadn't gone through all those things, I wouldn't be where I am today. So absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just so interesting that life took away that choice about you being a surgeon. And this was like, this is your path. This is where you need to go. And I was that's unfortunate. I'm so sorry you had this, the accident, but it's also one of these situations where it creates like a new opening. 
It was actually, you know, it was wonderful because my, my old uh, job with the hospital, um, right as I was about to go back to work and my doctor was like, no, I'm not clearing you to go back yet. Um, I knew that there was a clause in my contract that they could let me go based on disability. And I was like, I still, I still like, that was, that was still my, my out. And I should have been like happy and been like, okay. Cause I could have pulled that trigger and been like, okay, I'm canceling my, my employment contract based on disability, but I still didn't have the guts to do it myself. But the day I got the termination letter, it came in this big envelope, Federal Express, and I saw the address that was coming from the hospital. I felt such, before I even opened it, I knew what it was. I was so excited and so happy. And there was this sense of relief because I was like, yes, I don't have to do this anymore. Because that was the other thing was like, how, how am I going to go back and finish out this, you know, especially like before I went out for the next surgery, it was like, see more patients, spend less time, see more patients, spend less time. They wanted me to spend less than 10 minutes with a patient. I'm like, you mm -hmm. can't get to know a person and what they're going through in less in 10 minutes. Like, you know, you need time. You know, that person's had a whole lifetime of experiences mm -hmm. that is now affecting their health. And you can't just do that in 10 minutes. So it yeah. was incredible. It was an incredible relief to be like, yes, I'm free. And then it was like, now what? And, and, you know, for like a brief second, I was scared with the now what, but then I was like, oh my God, now what is I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever is possible and anything's possible. So that's great. And also yeah. 10 minutes to talk about the vagina area is never yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's such a sensitive area filled with so much emotion. I mean, I've seen clients for weeks and suddenly they tell me something i'm like that was vital like you know but yeah it, it's, it requires trust and vulnerability yes. and so a lot of people don't even share all the things that are happening in that region for a while exactly exactly oh. so i'm gonna get into the infinite love questions that's okay yeah okay so the first question is how do you use love in your work you know what i think that I start, so I'll tell you what I did wrong. So I used to sacrifice myself for my patients. And I think there's a lot of women who do that just in general, that we tend to be the caregivers and we put everybody ahead of ourselves. And then somebody worded it to me that really hit home that if you don't take care of yourself, you're harming others. Mm. And then I went, oh. You know, because I would do where I wasn't eating, I wasn't eating properly, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't exercising, wasn't taking care of myself, because I said I would do all those things after I took care of everybody else. So now I really focus more on loving myself, because I realize that if I can love myself and, and take care of myself and accept myself, that that in turn creates a gift that I can give back to other people and actually can help them better. So I love that. Yeah. Self-care is so important. Yeah. So how does your work, how is your work used to uplift humanity? You know, I think because I kind of found my calling and have, you know, created this place where people can really, you know, 
discover their full potential, that I think that the tools that I teach them and what they're learning, not only are they getting better, but then they're able to pass on that information to friends and loved ones who in turn can just keep improving. I think it's kind of the domino effect mm -hmm. that if you help one person, you're not just helping that one person, you're helping yeah. all the people that are associated with that person. Absolutely. What does it mean for you to be a positive force of goodness in the world? You know, I think it's so important and it actually, I think it was very hard to realize like in the past to come to the realization that I could be a positive force. And so, you know, being able to actually recognize that and accept that, that only has helped me with my own self-esteem, but I really think that it kind of radiates into the world and it affects everybody that I come in contact with. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's such a powerful, you know, powerful thing because you, you change your own energy and we know that there's right. a lot of stuff about energy and vibration and your body frequency Absolutely. and so i think it just has this ripple effect across everything that we come in contact with oh i love that yeah what do you love most about your life what i love most about my life is that it's you know that is interesting that you know, I could have been in this like nine to five, like seeing patients and just kind of going through um, the, this, you know, kind of robotic, you know, work relationship. But now I'm like, there's, you know, being able to break out of that and be able to see that there's so many possibilities and no matter what I dream, it can become true. And so I just think that there's so many different things. My biggest problem right now is I have so many big dreams and visions <laughs> and I want to do them all at once. And so that's a skill that I'm really learning now is focusing on one thing at a time because I realize there's really not such a thing as multitasking because multitasking is just doing a bunch of things half-assed. So, you know, really focusing on that one thing that I can do and get out into the world. And the other thing is accepting that things don't have to be perfect because mm -hmm. somebody said to me recently, like, if you have a project, if you put it out, putting it out is better than not putting it out at all. So putting right. out a half-assed project is better than not doing it at all. Right. And that you put out this project that may not be the most perfect thing in the world, but then it gives you room to grow. And right. so I think in the past, I was always waiting for the perfect time, the perfect place, the perfect situation. And that really was holding me back. So now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Like right now I'm writing a book. And so for two years, I was writing this book and I couldn't get anywhere with it because I kept on saying, well, that sentence isn't perfect. That paragraph isn't perfect. And so it wasn't until recently that somebody was like, no, putting out something, you know, is better than nothing at all. Your first book might not be your best book. Your second, third, fourth books may be better. So I'm like, okay, you know what? That took a real big weight off my shoulder. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just get this out and, you know, and grow from it. So. Oh, I love that. That's a, been my motto this entire year. Yeah. Done is better than perfect. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> okay. So how do you feel you receive love? So that's been very hard and I've gotten much better at that because I think, you know, the, in the past there was a lot of self-doubt and self um 
you know, you kind of get into this mindset of I'm not good enough or I'm, you know, I don't know this negative mindset. So I never heard the compliments before, you know, I was so stuck on like, oh, things aren't working. Things aren't the way I want it to be. And I never heard the good things. So it wasn't until I finally started to open up and be willing to accept love that I started to hear it and started to hear the, the good compliments that people were saying to me. So, you know, and now I'm like, wow, I can't believe all these nice things that people are saying. And my husband likes to point out, he goes, you know, people were saying that stuff all along. You just didn't hear it. And so I think the biggest step was I had to give myself permission to actually accept love so that now I feel it so much more than I probably like, this is, I, I plan to keep going up, but right now this is the highlight of my life because this is the time that I'm feeling the most love from people. That's amazing. I love that. Okay. Then the last, the next question is when do you feel the most love? You know, I always feel what I always feel love when I can do something for other people, but I learned that, um, letting other people do things for me is not a fault because I used to be really, I would get like kind of tense and like defensive if somebody tried to help me. Cause I was always like, Oh, I can do it myself. I don't, you know, not that I don't need your help, but I always felt like if somebody helped me that that was like saying that I wasn't good enough to do it on my own or that now I owed that person because that they helped me. When really, once again, you know, working on the self-development the last couple of years, it was pointed out to me that, you know, how, how good do you feel when you do other, like do things for other people? And I'm like, I feel great when I do things for other people that, that, that really like gives me like this life force that makes me, you know, happy. They're like, well, do you realize that letting other people help you is the same thing for them. And so when you allow people to, you know, help you, you're giving them that gift. And I was like, Oh, all right. So you know what? In fact, me letting other people help me, like I'm helping them help me. And it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if that's kind of confusing, but it comes into a circle and I realized, wow, that's really amazing. So. Yeah. Um, that, is so true because when people, it's like when people give you a gift, you want to receive yeah. it because that's also, you're helping them be able to give so you can receive. And I actually, I love that. It's so true. Yeah. And yeah. So the last question, which is my favorite question is where has love created a miracle in your life? You know, I think that, um, That's always the tough one. And I know you prepared me for this one and I have never, I have not been able to come up with a good answer for this one. Um, you know what I think? No, I do know is that by accepting and inviting love in my life, I have come across the most amazing people that I would have never met before. And I don't know how it's happened. I can't explain like some of the people that I've come across in my life and people that have, you know, you know, they say it's a law of attraction. And I totally believe it that by putting out love and accepting love, now I'm attracting like 
amazing people with amazing energy and amazing, you know, gifts into my life. And I, I have no good ex- explanation for it. Like I say, I think that's the miracle. I think that's a miracle is the people who've been attracted into my life. You know, they, they, I'll tell you an interesting story real quickly is a couple years ago, like my first Mindshare Summit, which is this conference that I go to is all the health and wellness entrepreneurs. Nothing was going right that day. I was trying to get on the airplane. Nothing was going right. I, I left my purse at work, which was an hour away. I had to cancel my first flight. I was so stressed. But then I ended up getting into um, a car service because I had to cancel the first car service. So that I got the second car service, second airplane ticket. And the person who was my limo driver on the hour ride to the airport, we started talking and I realized he was such a special person and had so much energy and really had such great, um, just gifts to give to humanity. And here he was in this limo kind of trying to find it. He was, he was a young guy that was doing this as a job just to make money, trying to find his way. Well, interesting enough, we stayed in contact over the years after that car ride and he went to massage school and now he's going to be the, mas- the masseuse and the massage therapist in my office. Wow. And because of us meeting, he also has now kind of changed his life and has more direction and, oh. you know, just kind of random, like how in the world did that happen? So yeah, that's, that's beautiful. It's amazing when we like change our lives, how much we can affect other people around us. And I think that's why. I mean, that's why the show is called Infinite Love, right? It's that the idea that we're spreading love and then it it keeps spreading and spreading. Exactly. Exactly. So thank you so much for being on the show. How can people find you? Sure. So I'm all over social media. Just look up Dr. Betsy Greenleaf and uh, follow me on Instagram. Um, (laughs) I also have a podcast called Some of Your Parts that you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. I have a website, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf. Uh, dot com. Our practice is greenleafbewell.com. And um, we have a summit. My first summit is will be coming out soon. I don't know when this will air, but either soon or you can catch the replay. It's called the Happy Vagina Rally, which is a pelvic health summit for perimenopausal and menopausal women. So wonderful. Thank you so much. And I loved your story about how you went from sexual harassment into this beautiful place of entrepreneurship and empowerment. It's a really inspiring story. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. Have a wonderful day. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and tune in on Tuesdays for new episodes. For more information about me, please follow me on Instagram at Corinne J. Camara and my website, CorinneCamara.com. Sending you lots of infinite love.